Barb. Hi, sweetie pie. I love how kind you are to me on these podcasts. <laughs> I'm trying really to encourage you. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a fine job. So, Barb, we're do the baby of the family. Uh, we've moved down the line, and, and uh, this week's is Billy Charles Brown, somebody you're very familiar with. Yeah, I know this guy very well. Spent the last 20 years with him as part of my extended family. That's right. Yeah, good. he's yeah. a wonderful man. Yeah, you uh, actually got kin to him somehow through marriage. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So, uh, looking forward to this podcast. This one's my dad, uh, and uh, it was uh, it was really a fun podcast to kind of get together, but also kind of an emotional podcast. Uh, you, of course, talk about your own dad, but uh, my dad's story and, and his love of music and singing and working in churches and pastoring uh, has gone hand in hand with uh, his relationship with my mother. And as mm-hmm. a lot of people listening to our podcast knows that mom passed away a little over a year ago. And uh, it's been a very tough thing for my family to kind of uh, overcome and move on and, and what life is like after that. And uh, so putting all that kind of stuff together has kind of been a, a little bit emotional. Uh, I, I know that I, I've almost felt guilty uh, because thinking back of all the family members that, that we've lost in the Brown family and then, you know, Barbara, you've lost some yeah. uh, fairly recently and we've had friends who's kind of getting that age where they're starting to lose some of their parents and, uh, you, know, you sympathize with them until you go through something like that yourself, and then uh, you realize what what that heartache and, and uh, emotions is. But it also gives you time to reflect on on the good times and, and the good things that you were given. So uh, this podcast, when it gets to the part where uh, you know Dad meets my mother, uh, my siblings are going to come in. Uh, they had a firsthand experience with that time period, hmm. so they're going to help me tell that story. And we're going to do something also a little different. Normally, me and Barb have introduced the the next clip uh, that you might be hearing, but we're, we're you're not going to hear us on this podcast going forward on this particular one. Uh, my mom was an excellent piano player. My dad uh, was a, enjoyed singing, and so uh, mom played for 45 years for my dad, and I just thought this would be a good chance for her to be able to play for him one more time. Mm-hmm. So she's going to help us kind of get uh, with this story. So uh, I hope everybody enjoys, uh, you know, kind of hold your loved ones tight and, and remember the good times because remember, life is sweet. So sop it up. Hi, this is Carol Brown. And I've had a few requests about wanting to hear some music. So I'm doing this video of several Easter-related songs, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm just going to go straight through and leave all the mistakes in there and not worry about them. You enjoy and sit back and relax. First one is Glory to the Lamb. Thank you. 
home place and all that kind of stuff. So give me your, your first memories of, of home, uh, you know, your dad and mom and what life was like kind of growing up in that house in Muscadine in 1950. Well, from, from what uh, Cotton, used to, he used to tell me how much Winford didn't like me. Yeah. <laughs> he said that uh, Winford was mad because I, I was born. Well, the reason that was is Mama had given Junior... If I was a boy, Junior could name me. If I was a girl, Winford could name me. All right. Well, it turned out I was a boy. And uh, so Winford gathered up the rest of the kids, carried them out to Bertel at Lumineck's house because she was going to keep them while Mama had, had the baby. Right. And said Winford, all the way out there, all he kept saying is just another mouth to feed. <laughs> and he wasn't too happy about that because right. it wasn't enough... A lot of people times there wasn't there. enough food to eat as it was. Yeah. But uh, turned out that I was a breast baby, so there was plenty of food for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, as my my first memory, really, and this is to me, it's, it was amazing that my memory goes back that far. But in 1952, mother's mother, my grandmother, died. And uh, we went, of course, the family went to Boaz for the funeral over in Alabama, or up on Sand Mountain. And the those days, uh, up until Daddy, the time Daddy passed away, people had the caskets in the home. Yeah. And my grandmother's casket was in the old Whit home place. Right. And I was two years old in 1952. But I remember somebody lifted me up so I could view her in the casket. Nice. And that is my earliest memory. <laughs> That's a wonderful first memory to have. Well, in you know, but, but it, apparently it made an impact on, right. on me because I remembered it. And just to kind of, I mean, for those who don't know, like, my name came from Granny's maiden name. So Wit. It was Wits. And, and your other name came from Mama's. Yeah, Miss Stanley. Yeah. So, so that's where Granny. But you know, that's where Granny's people were from. Before she came from Boaz or Sand yeah. Mountain over there. Mama loved the Sand Mountain. She always talked about it lovingly. Yeah. One one year, Silas uh, come up with a new uh, brand of okra. Yeah, and that uh, he had, he had. I don't know where he got the seed, but the okra pods were like a foot long, great right. big thing. And uh, he carried some over to Mama, and she just she just put it down. That that was that couldn't be okra to look like that. And then Silas told him told her that he had got the seeds from the Sand Mountain. Yeah, and she said from that on that was the best tasting okra. <laughs> Just a little different. <laughs> Just because yeah. they come from the same place. She was proud of her home place. Yes, she really was. So as you as you grow up, one of my favorite stories, Dad, and, and I don't know how much there really detail is to it, but I always laugh you telling me your favorite TV show that I remember you telling me was Tarzan. Yeah. Kind of growing up. So you mimicked what you saw on the television, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I There was very few... Well, back then, the first TV we got was an antenna TV, black and white. And uh, on Saturday afternoon, they had a uh, movie matinee. 
and uh, the old guy that used to be the weatherman on Channel 5, Guy Sharp, was the master of ceremonies on Channel 2 on this movie thing. So they did a series of Tarzan movies. Now, you got to realize that, that uh, when I saw a cowboy movie, I went outside and became the cowboy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a, we had an old sawhorse out back that, that uh, I'd ride, and Daddy had given me, when I was about five years old, Daddy gave me a set of Roy Rogers cap pistols. Yeah. And had, you know, I had one on each hip, and I could outdraw anybody. <laughs> yeah. All the outlaws of Muscadine oh, I mean, no they, shot, they, they just completely evaporated. Because <laughs> I killed them all. That's man. right. But uh, the Tarzan movies, I became fat infatuated with living in the jungle. Right. And uh, so when, <laughs> when I wanted to go, I had a perfect place. There was a place down on the branch, the Martin Branch, which is where the lake is now, the Brown right. Lake there. Yeah. That was that was where I went, and that it was oak trees, and all of them had these these uh, muscadine vines growing down. So there's plenty of vines to swing on. Right. And I was just going to be Tarzan. So in, in order to complete the picture, Tarzan always wore a loincloth. Yeah. I didn't have a loincloth, <laughs> so I stole a, a dish towel off of Mama's clothesline. Split it in two, and I had me a loincloth. I had to have have was a piece of baling twine to tie it up so it wouldn't fall off. Right. And I'd go to the woods, and I pulled off all my clothes, and I put on that loincloth. <laughs> and I was having a big time. Now I could do the Tarzan yell. I won't do that here. Right. Yeah. But I could do the Tarzan yell, and every wild animal in Muscadine would come running. <laughs> I mean, all the elephants, the lions, the right. tigers. Zebras they would come. Around, yeah. They would come at my at my behest. <laughs> so there I was. I pulled off all my clothes and I put on that loincloth, and I was up in a tree just calling all the animals, just having a big old time. When all of a sudden, and my loincloth was perfect. I mean, it looked it looked apart. And I was up in that tree just having a big old time yelling my Tarzan yell. And all of a sudden, I heard a voice say, Billy! And immediately, that loincloth transformed in a towel, <laughs> into a towel. Yeah. All the animals left. All the animals yeah. deserted me. <laughs> and my clothes was about 25 yards away. <laughs> and I was a little boy naked in the top of a tree with Screaming. a towel wrapped around me, yeah. my body. And... Uh, I just beat quiet. You know, right. I wasn't going to say nothing. And Winford kept calling, Billy! I finally said, yeah. He said, what's the matter with you? <laughs> I said, nothing, I'm just playing. He said, well, we thought you was hurt. I said, no, I'm okay. So he left and went on back. Well, I slid down that tree, yeah. found my clothes, got them on. Throw, I put that uh, loincloth in, in a tree a hole in a tree somewhere and I never saw it again and that ended my day as far as that but uh, up until the time he called me I was having a great old time
childhood that you remember most of your memories come after he's kind of already had his health issues and stuff well yeah the of course i had a lot of fun out of dad uh dad was i think you, you in your other podcast it's already pretty well established that dad was stingy yeah a lot of things he did that uh, uh people would would turn their nose yeah. up but he, he that was the way he grew up you know Daddy was always dirt poor. He did. Yeah. He was a good mechanic uh, for machines, and he'd get a job like at the cotton mill, and and be one of the high paid ones there because right. of his ability. But then he'd get all of his bills paid and he'd quit yeah. and go back home to farm. Right. Well, there was never any money in farming, but, yeah. but he always tried. I remember a couple of things uh, before his stroke. One was we had a big old. Uh, I'd, I'd say a coal stove, but we put wood or coal in it in the middle of the living room. That was our main source of heat. And sometimes, sometimes that thing would get, you know, real hot. Well, when I was in the uh, seventh grade, my best friend's name was Randy Taylor. Me and Randy was just, we were big buddies. I'd go to his house, spend the night. He'd come to my house, spend the night. So one, one day in the seventh grade, he, uh, which I'd have been, what, uh, probably 61, 62. Uh, well, it'd been 60, 61, because he had his first stroke at 61. But I went to, uh, we went down to a little store there in Fruithurst. They bought, I think I bought two packs of bubble gum, and he bought two packs. We come back to school, and we was just enjoying chewing that bubble gum. Well, it was against rules. Teacher didn't like what you chewing, smacking, and so it was hard not to if you put three or four pieces in your mouth at one time. So, so Miss Bowman caught us chewing, chewing uh, the uh, bubble gum. She made us throw it out the window. Yeah. So, and I've always said, you know, if if bubble gum would grow from being planted, that'd have been a big crop out because that right. was just. You couldn't see the ground hardly for the bubble gum yeah. out there. So I had I went on home and I still had most of my bubble gum left, and I was chewing and uh, Pat I give her a piece. We was chewing our bubble gum, and Daddy was trying to watch the news and we was a popping and a, and a snapping and enjoying the gum. Daddy got up and, and in a huff he said, "Throw that bubble gum into the heater." 
So Pat, she got up and went over there and opened the door of the heater and throwed hers in and then went on. I went in over there, opened up the door of the heater and I pretended to throw mine in there. <laughs> and then I went outside and uh, uh, I would just continue to chew, yeah. you know, and blow bubbles and Pat come around where I was. She said, where'd you get that bubble gum? I said, I throw mine away. <laughs> she said, I'm going to tell daddy. I said, you do, and you'll never get another piece of bubble gum from me. <laughs> and uh, so we negotiated. Yeah. And I gave her, I, I promised her that she could have half of all the gum I ever bought. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she save agreed, your skin in that yeah, moment. she agreed to that. Yeah. <laughs> the only the good thing about it was that, that uh, I think by the next day she forgot all about yeah. it. Yeah, uh, you got to keep your gum taste. So it's like uh, with Aunt Pat talking about and then talking about the way them judge, like the way she put it, the way y'all were raised with your dad and farming, have all the chores was totally different with your brothers. Oh yeah, two through. different. Two different things. Because Daddy had already started to break. Yeah. His health had. Right. And uh, it was in, I believe, in 61. Uh, he was preaching at Harmony Grove Baptist Church in uh, almost into Edwardsville. And uh, I wasn't with him. And uh, by the way, I had I had begun taking piano lessons. And uh, Pat had been taking, she'd already been taking them for a year or so. And I, I caught up with her pretty quick. But she quit. <laughs> so so from that point on, uh, and I could play all half a dozen songs, and I became Daddy's piano player. So you talk about you being drugged to church all yeah. the time. I was drugged too. But the reason <laughs> I drugged the church was because he wanted you to play six songs. I could play six songs, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, he had... I wasn't with him that night that he had the stroke, and he had the stroke while he was preaching. Oh no! And he was in the pulpit, and uh, he he started mumbling, and and uh, he couldn't couldn't get his words out right, so he just stopped. All right. And they closed the service, and he uh, one of the deacons there said, "Mr. Brother Brown said we'll drive you home." He said, "No, I can make it, no problem." He didn't think. Much wrong with him. He just needed to go and go to bed, right, which yeah. is what he did. But the next morning, when uh, he was eating breakfast, and I was there eating my breakfast, and I got to watch him, and he was smearing it on his face, smearing his food, yeah. And what had happened? His whole face had moved over to one side, and he was putting it in the right place, but his mouth wasn't right. Well, yeah, he had a major stroke. In major that stroke. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he never preached again. Really? Uh, never did. And he began to get, you know, more and more uh, senile. Right. And, but he, he died in 1969. He was 63. Yeah. So he Which was, seems a whole lot older. used to seem a whole lot older to me than it does now. Yeah. <laughs> than it does the now. The closer you get to yeah, it. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, so I, one of the things that, that I've always talked with my siblings about was that when we got to, uh, when each of us reached 63, or a little beyond that, we'd say, well, at least we live longer right, than right, yeah. you know. Well, when you, I remember hearing some stories, and in my head, you know, the, the movie playing in my head with him, in my head, he was an 80-something-year-old man laying around, and he never was that age or anything. No, like but a doctor told him one time that he had the body, and this was when he was in the 50s, his 50s. 
He told that he had the body of a seventy-five-year-old man. He had abused it pretty he good. He abused right? it yeah. very well. Yeah. So when you, you know, your dad, you know, kind of addressed him like, for you, what was Granny like while you were young? Uh, you know, being raised by Granny, or, or was she kind of a buffer between you and your dad? Or yeah, to the most part. So I remember one time she, she, uh, we, me and Pat had to go their own way to school. And uh, Mama said, go ask your daddy for lunch money. Well, that, that was a chore in and of yeah. itself. So I just went in there and stood in front of him and held my hand out. And he looked at me and he said, what is it? I said, lunch money. He said, I ain't got no money. I said, well, Mama said you did. He said, that woman. <laughs> and I ain't going to tell you the language he used, but it, it, he was never cussed. Don't misunderstand yeah. But he used a lot of, of uh, salty language. Yeah. <laughs> like that right, yeah. And uh, see, she said, she thinks I'm just made out of money. <laughs> so, But I kept, I just kept holding my hand out. Eventually, he threw, I, I think he gave me a quarter. Right. And that was enough to buy lunch. Yeah. Day, so it, it worked out. All right. I guess. Mama one time, she tells this. She used to tell this story. He carried her. They went off somewhere, and he stopped at a store. And he goes in and he buys a Coca Cola, Coca Cola. Yeah. And it was in one of them little six ounce bottles like they used to make, you know. And uh, so he comes out and he drinks half of it, and then hands it to her, and then he goes in the store and gets him another. <laughs> what a guy! Yeah, it made mother so mad. She. <laughs> <laughs> she, she just wants, you know, she can spit nails. Right. The old saying well, I, I, you know, we've talked about it before, but Granny had a great sense of humor to me. And I think that's a lot where we all get our kind of love of laughter yeah. is from Granny. Because even when I was little, she was always cackling or telling a story or, or, or you know, saying, saying something. Almost over. Heading home now Harrelson County, Georgia Life is good there With our families All our kids are grown now Grandkids growing like weeds Country roads Take us home To the place We belong Place we belong.
over the rebels. Take us home, country roads. Take us home, down country roads. Take us home, down country roads. All right, so so you, you, you get you know in your teenage years and and. Uh, let's just say that your dad really doesn't have the ability to keep you under his thumb as much anymore and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, pre-rehearsal ends in what grade for you? Uh, eighth grade. Eighth grade I, I went to Hampton in ninth grade because I, I wanted to take algebra. Okay. And uh, that way, I was planning on going to college. Yeah. So, if I took algebra one in the tenth grade, I could take algebra two in the tenth grade or the ninth grade in the tenth grade. And then the, uh, I could take geometry plain and solid in the 11th grade and trigonometry in the 12th grade. All, all to get you into college. That right. was the whole my, whole, yeah. my whole thing was doing co- college. When, when did that hit? Like, like, what made you think, I'm going to go to college? 8th grade. What, was there a teacher? Or what, what just I, kind of I, think, I think there was. I had several teachers that told me I needed to go to college. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I took them seriously. Right. So I, that's that that was why that, that's why I went to Hefton in the 9th grade. The principal at Fruithurst at that time's name was Bill Ayers. He's passed now. But Mr. Ayers uh, was also the basketball coach. Right. And we had a pretty good little team there at Fruithurst in the eighth grade. And he was looking forward to the next year because he knew that we had enough talent that we might be county champions. Right. Well, I'm, I moved away. Yeah. You know, I, I went to Hefflin. Yeah. And I got on their basketball team. And we ultimately was a County champion yeah. at Hefflin and made him smile. He wouldn't speak to me for two years. <laughs> well, it's funny how how much things change, how much they stay the same because coaches still get mad at kids leaving that school yeah. to go to yeah. that school leaving yeah. even today. Well, I didn't go for athletic purposes. Yeah. But I, I you know, I played. Right. I played uh, some. You played all through. Y'all had a pretty good high school basketball team. Had, we had there. a great basketball team. Yeah. We really did. So, uh, so you get through Hefflin, graduate in 68. Is that yeah. correct? Right. Now, I'm going to give you credit for this, Pop. Like, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, so credit if I'm wrong, but you're basically the reason why the Brown family is a divided family in Alabama and Auburn people. But weren't you the first one to kind of decide to be in Auburn, go to Auburn and be an Auburn fan? In uh, 1966, and this is what made my decision, I wanted to be an engineer. Yeah. And Auburn had an engineering school. Alabama didn't. Right. So, and up until that time, I was an Alabama fan. Yeah. But I started. Well, that, was, that was the middle of the bear. Right. Yeah, that yeah. was the big, everybody was Alabama. And I left. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when your Uncle John came back from the Army in 1965, uh, they, we were watching an Alabama uh, game on television at Winford's house. And it, John had been gone for two years. And in the meantime, they had come up with instant replay. <laughs> he yeah. didn't know it. Yeah. And so a guy named, there was a, a fullback for Alabama named Steve Bowman. And he was on like the 40-yard line, and they give him the ball, and he ran it in for a touchdown. And when he, right after that, they showed it again, and John looked at it and said, look, there it goes again. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to explain to him. No, that they they been the yeah. 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 Right. yeah. So uh, I, I go off of these 
Rents, and I don't remember where well, I was. Well, you're why, why Auburn? Why, why did you okay, do that? I went, yeah, I decided I wanted to be an engineer. So I started listening and watching Auburn players. Right. And uh, I remember the year that Alabama played Auburn. They call it the Mud Bowl because Kenny Staber is the only score they made. Kenny Staber was a quarterback right. for Alabama. The snake, and, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't. It, it was just pouring rain the whole game. And uh, he he snuck around in and scored a touchdown, and they beat Auburn six to nothing. Right. And I was just so disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, then then I started reading about Silk Jordan and and all of the. You know, I fell in love with the pageantry yeah, of Auburn. I did. Like that. I did. So you you uh you got a scholarship to go there for? Well, it was it, it was a high scholarship. Okay. I it to. So how long did you stay at Auburn? I was there a year. What? Uh, and I learned two things. Yeah. I learned how to play chess, and I learned how to play hearts. <laughs> <laughs> and I did very well at both of them. Oh, yeah, at the expense of some of the other things you were yeah, there to learn, I guess. All right. So you, you come back home and live after you, you well, leave Well, yeah. I, I, obviously, my grades suffered. Right, yeah. And it was a mutual decision that I didn't need to come back <laughs> for the next year. So, so I came home. That was in June yeah. of 69. All right. And uh, you're, now, you're, you're this time, sorry, Dad, but this time your dad passed about right, right around this. Like he did that year. Yeah, okay. He, he passed in May. I believe it's right. It, it, I think he passed in May of '69, right. and I came home for the funeral, and then I came home after, gotcha. after okay. I fucked out. So, so my brother John, uh, I, I, you know, I, I was home a week. Right. John came home from Tennessee. He was working up there. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, you just come to work with me. And so began my uh, life as a sprinkler man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's about a third story, Uncle John lending a hand. Like, you know, him and Uncle Cotton helped him pat pay for some of our schooling. And that just seems to be a common thing. Well, let me tell you what Let me tell you what it did for me. He got him and Martha married, uh, I think, that August of 69. And up until that point, for three months, I'd been riding with him everywhere. You know, I was his helper. Yeah. But he knew I was, I, I wasn't going to Texas with him. That's where they were going for right. honeymoon. So uh, before their wedding, he takes me to Gadsden and we pick out a car. Well, he took me to the bank first to sign a, a statement and he co-signed for me to have a loan. We went to Gadsden, picked out a car Gave them the money for it. He comes back, takes me to Graydon Ginge, who ran an automobile insurance agency, right. and got me signed up for insurance. Took me to the tag place to get the tag. Right. He did all of that and uh, and signed his own name as co-signer so that I could have That's the work, right, yeah. and I'd have a way to get around to work. Yeah, he, he, he was a new special. He really was. He really was.
chairman of Beulah's, uh, which is my home church. Right. I was the chairman of their singing for three or four years. And uh, I think I, I gave that up in 75. But you was wanting to know, or maybe we are going toward the time I met your mama. Yeah. And uh, she, she was, as you all know, a uh, tremendous piano player. Right. And so she had taken... Uh, she had gotten a divorce, and uh, she had begun to play for her brother's quartet. Right. And I didn't, I mean, I had seen her a couple of times previously. I saw her at a singing one night at Tanner's. I'd gone over there, and I, I think I carried a girl. I had a date with a girl that carried her over there that singing. And, uh, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> Bundy never let me forget. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then I saw her once, Miss Howell, 
and it invited me to come to her, her Mr. Howe's home church for a little afternoon singing on a Sunday afternoon. And I went because I like Miss Howell. Right. And uh, apparently she liked me because I spilled coffee on on her couch one time. And it was one of them really nice couches. Yeah. And I felt really bad. <laughs> but uh, so it was at their church and, and uh, she was singing with the Howell singers. At right. That time. Which was Mama's former our in-laws. And so they came and sang, and, and I, I had met her then, shook hands with her, told her I enjoyed her piano playing. Right, yeah. And uh, she told me later, she said, don't think nothing about this. She said, but I noticed you. <laughs> don't let it get to you. you yeah, don't let it get to your head, yeah. but I noticed you. That's right. <laughs> so I, uh, around that time, so my visual is because of your singing school or whatever, that's kind of how y'all got connected and you know, through the churches or whatever, the, 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 all these things would kind of take place right. in, at that time. Well, there was a there was a uh, a little building in East Point uh, that was a community building. Yeah. Anybody could use it. Well, the, there was a group called the Southside Singing Class that right. sang new books, singing. Yeah. And they were they had it booked every Tuesday night. Okay. So I'd go over on Tuesday night to enjoy singing. Now right. everybody in there. Was older than me. Yeah, I don't. I, for some reason, I have a hard time visually. You talking about a twenty-something-year-old single Atlanta dude living the life? Man about town. Yeah, going to a singing <laughs> class. This is the picture I have of the movie playing. Well, it's head. just because I loved. I love yeah, to sing. That's right. And uh, so I was there one night. We were having a special night. I think it was on a Saturday night. We were having a special uh, with dinner on the ground. Right. So we, I, you know, I wasn't going to miss a chance to get some free food. Yeah. So I was over there and, and, uh, and their quartet came and sang. Uh-huh. Well, uh, there was a break while they were getting the food ready. And I was outside fellowshipping with people saying, good to see you and all that, you know. And uh, somebody asked me who that piano player was for the group. Right. And I said, that's Miss Howell's daughter-in-law. And she overheard me. So it wasn't long before she was around and shook hands, said, good to see you and all that. And I said, I asked her, I said, well, where's that old husband of yours? She said, we're divorced. And she told me later, she said, I wanted to make sure you knew that, that, <laughs> that I was, was not Miss Howell's daughter. That was, that was her move. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Well, we're, we're talking about mom. So, and we talked about she was divorced. But there were there were four other little items that that, that mom had, and they're they're uh, I guess they're in the room and with us as well. <laughs> so I, I kind of want to uh, paint the picture from mom's side. We we lost mom uh, a little over a year ago, and uh, you know as Forrest Gump says, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. You know, right now, you know what a what a awesome mom she she was. But so probably why that's you know Kevin Gill, y'all y'all might be the oldest that can remember. Kind of where the time period we're getting into. Do y'all remember? I mean, Brent, Brent, y'all do remember. I, I, you know, feel free. Do y'all remember starting the time period we're talking about now? Or your first memories of Bill or, or anything like that? What, what, what do you have when your first memories of, of him coming around? Well, the first memory is that day at Southside Singing Class. Uh, I was just a kid. They were singing. I remember they were after the break. They sat next to each other. Yeah. They were right by a window. Yeah. And all and there was no air conditioning in those days, right. so the windows were open. And right next to them was the fire station. 
and the fact, so I was enamored. They, were, you know, they had firemen out there, had big trucks, and they're saying they had guys I could play outside. And again, mom was cool because the windows were open. And I kept jumping up in the window and seeing this man, mama talking to this man. <laughs> Didn't think nothing about how, it. How old <laughs> would you be roughly, right? I would have been about 10 years old. Okay. I was about 10 years old. Yeah. yeah. I was saying, again, I didn't, it was kind of strange seeing mama, you know, flirting and talking to a man. When I say flirting, I could just see her eyes batting and smiling a lot. Right. Something I didn't see mama doing a lot. <laughs> my, my mom had four kids. She wasn't yeah, smiling. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I remember her talking to my, uh, her, her brother, her oldest brother, and uh, uh, we were in a car somewhere, and they talked about, Bill had invited her to an Elvis Presley concert. <laughs> and I thought, wow, yeah. wow. Because I, 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 I knew Elvis, well, I already had a couple of the albums. That's right, so yeah. I thought, man, this guy, is, he's up. Yeah. He, he's <laughs> he smart. He's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, so I remember him coming over, and I, I remember we had, Mama made a big deal about having a dinner, and us taking a bath and everything for dinner and all this stuff. <laughs> and I remember she had about eight different types of egg dishes and I'm going what's the egg she said that's what I know he likes and I don't know what it was just eggs everywhere and yeah. I don't know what it was right. so he came over and uh and that day you know he had very long hair this is 70s yeah. so he looked like some hippie and he had a he had the woman beater shirt on you know yeah. showing his muscles he was in construction time right. so he was 26 27 years old stout as could be whatever and uh, so I just going, wow, what's, what's, what's all this yeah. about? Yeah. yeah, who's this dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, so that's my first impression. Right, That's I my first you. impression. Do you, do you remember any of it, Goose, before you think? I, the only thing I remember is the Elvis concert. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember much of anything else. The mother was so excited yeah. to be going to that concert, but I don't remember anything else. I just show you how big Elvis was. Like, that's y'all's memory. That, or that hit it was, uh, was how big he was. So you, you took her, was that kind of when you first date? Was take it her was her first date, yeah. I, uh, when I, let's go back to Southside Singing Club. Yeah. I walked in the room. She would walk, She wandered off after she told me she was divorced. But in, in my mind, I'm thinking, aha, you're somebody I can date. That's right. Now, I did, did you know four kids yet? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> She hadn't set the hook yet, buddy. Okay. She hadn't set the hook yet. <laughs> so, so uh, I I walk in and I'm looking around for her yeah. because you know she she's already made that statement. So I'm thinking, well, this is somebody I can date. Right. So I walked in and looked around, and she had the biggest smile on her face you ever seen. She was sitting in the back of the room where his talking about the window was. Right. So I went back there and sat down. I said, uh, well, are you going with anybody? And she said, no. I said, look, I've got, and and so you know, I had bought these four Elvis tickets like three or four weeks before then. I, I did not have a date, but I told Gene Autry, John, yeah. that I was going I was gonna get these tickets and would him yeah. and Martha be interested in going? So he said, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Martha was yeah. a big Elvis fan oh, yeah. too. That's right. And so, so uh, when so I you, you buy four on faith that you were going to find. Oh yeah, I, I had no day at that time. Confidence, yeah. faith, it's kind of yes. right. Okay. Well, it's more like hope <laughs> <laughs> that I'd run across somebody who'd be willing to go with me. Yeah. So I, I I went back there. She was smiling. I went back there and said, "Now we talked a while and asked her, you know, if she'd go to." I said, would you like to go to the Elvis concert? She said, yeah. I said, well, I got four tickets. Now, two of them is for my brother and his wife, but it, 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 
was on such and such a night. I said, if you'd like to go, I wouldn't mind taking you out. She said, oh, yeah. So that set that up, and I right. got her phone number. I said, I need your phone number. And, uh, man, you had to, I mean, who has Elvis tickets? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how would you right? think she didn't like it? <laughs> nah, I ain't going to see Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you don't ever know. Yeah, that's right. You don't know till you ask. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, that's, that's but I think if I have said it was a Teddy Winks concert, she didn't want to go. She still yeah. want to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that didn't hurt. All right, so y'all y'all dated and eventually uh, decided to kind of get married. I mean, you met the four kids fairly. Oh yeah, yeah. Fairly yeah fairly I uh, I helped her buy uh, Christmas presents that that year. Right. And uh, uh, so you look, look at it this way, and I, I'm not talking about me or anything, anybody else. But she didn't have a lot of money. Right. And uh, so we we pretty well, I, I, whatever she wanted to buy or whatever, I have to buy. Right. And uh, I, there's another story going See, there. The story's circling back around the 1930s again, you understand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have nothing, really, right. yeah. <laughs> We didn't either. Yeah. Growing up, we were dirt poor. Yeah. I mean, dirt poor. Well, I, like, you know, to, to kind of go into it, like, Mom got married when she was 15, right? right? And then, then had, you know, by the time... Got I mean, married my, in Harrelson County. Yeah, did she for real? Yeah. Even though she lived in Clayton County yeah. at the time. Well, at that time, Harrelson County probate judge in the courthouse was known as a marrying place. Really? There were people come from all over because you didn't have to wait a long time to get married. Right. And uh, and they didn't tell anybody they was going to get married. You never heard of Harrelson County at all? No, Harrelson, no, Harrelson County, everybody else in St. Dixon, Harrelson County was number two things. It would marry a young woman yeah. that had no problem with it in moonshine. Yeah. There were two things that Harrison County was known for, all so, over. <laughs> so she had no idea the future of Harrison County. She had <laughs> front of her dish at that moment. Yeah. She was a city girl a little bit anyway. But so uh, mom, mom, you know, like I said, got married when she was 15, had four kids. And how old was she by the time she had you, Brendan? Like we, we Brendan was 24. 24. 24. So she had four kids. And yeah, 24, 24, probably within the next two years, had been divorced at that time. So she's a single mom with four kids for a year or so before she meets I think dad. The divorce was final in 75. So that, that just, to me, that, you think about today how difficult that would be. I can't, I mean, in the 70s, I can't imagine, you know, the, like you said, she, she didn't have nothing. I'm sure she didn't, but just yeah. the. Add, add, add to that the taboo. Yeah. Associated that's with divorce. Right. Yeah. And, and the 70s, yeah. That, that's, who, wants, who wants a woman? With four kids. With four kids. I, so, Look well, to your right, Dad. <laughs> well, that's that's what I I've talked to Dad uh, many times about this topic. Like, was there any hesitation? Like, when you found out she had four kids, like, oh, I hope wow. you enjoy that Elvis yeah. day. Yeah. You know? When did you find out that she had four kids? It was that night. Have you seen? That? I was jumping up and down. Yeah, she told me. Yeah. I, I may have been on our first date because I I actually took her out a couple of times before the Elvis concert. Uh, I even when I called when I called the first night uh, you know, it was a couple of nights after that I called the house there and uh, I don't know I think he was holding somebody else answered the phone and I said is Carol there and so the quartet was just hooting and I hollered come and she come to the phone and she was a little bit taken aback and I misconstrued that that she didn't want to go out with me so uh, I asked her about it, and she said, well, I'll have to let you know. And so I said, well, I'll call you back in a couple of days. I almost didn't call her back because, to be honest with you, I, I was 
it wasn't that I was shy, but around girls, uh, I had a difficult time, you know, trying to get them to go out with me. Some of them, I mean, a lot did, but I still, I always felt like I wasn't, somehow I wasn't worthy yeah. of, of dating, you know. Yeah, you passed that straight on. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, How did that conversation come to be that, oh, by the way? Oh, I, I don't remember. Um, I Probably when I came to pick her up on the first day. Like a bond trap. Honestly, that never bothered me. Never did. Um, I was more interested in just knowing her, and, and y'all were just a bonus. And she asked, she asked me for thirty something years, "Why did you marry me?" Knowing I had four kids, and I just would say, "Well, I, you know, no reason or anything." But I finally did. She she asked me one time, and I said, "Well, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm from a big family. I come from a big family. I always wanted a big family. Here was one ready made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah already there. Yeah, you're married, and somebody can sing like an angel. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and which, like which, yeah. which, uh, and look like one. Which really interested me because I love to sing. Right. Yeah. And and uh, and she loved to play, so you know. He, he really was. Yeah. He really was. Yeah. All right. So, so y'all get married, and you know, almost like the Brady Bunch. You know. Well, then let let's go back a little bit about that. Let me tell you about the the uh, romance. <laughs> you, you and romance are here for this. Anyway, you and romance. It's just hard for me to put those two yeah. together. Well, <laughs> it was hard for me. <laughs> she broke up with me twice. Okay. Because. I kept telling her I'm not the marrying kind. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm not interested in marrying. I, I don't think. I don't think I'd be a good husband. So she broke up with me, and and uh, I mean I missed her pretty bad. And then this guy who I was working with he said, "Well, you ought to go up and make up with her," and you know. And all. So I left a card on her. I, I I did a missing you card or something, and I left it on the back door or the front door, I guess, of the house. There were where the carport is. It just and the next thing I know, I left it there one afternoon after work, which would have been about four four o'clock, and uh, and I went home and and you know half hour later she was at the door knocking on the door. Yeah. And uh, so I think she was missing me as much right. as I was her. Yeah. So we we rocked on until the spring of 1976, and she said. Uh, she said, well, I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to date you anymore. There's no chance that we're going to get married. And she said, I, I'm just not going to date you. And I, I said, look, is this what you really want? You want to get married? You want to marry me? And she said, that's not the way I wanted to hear it. <laughs> I, said, I said, so we'll, we'll just go and get a ring. Tomorrow we'll, it was over Friday, tomorrow we'll go and buy a ring. Yeah, I she said, this isn't the way I wanted it. It's like every romantic movie I've ever seen. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I think she, did, she said that and then she realized, wait a minute. He's telling me I'm going to get a ring. She said, okay. <laughs> so we went to a jeweler the next day and got a set of wedding yeah. ring. And, uh, that was actually how I proposed to her. Now, she said, well, when can we have the wedding? And I thought, how long can I postpone this? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so I was I was working for a labor union at that time. All right. And uh, there was going to be a big uh, convention in Las Vegas that fall in August. I said, well, let's just let's do it in August. She said, why August? And I said, well, we can do a honeymoon in Las Vegas. Then it'll all be paid for. She said, okay. <laughs> so uh, th- then she started making plans. Right. And uh, Blondie always made plans. You know, everything yeah. had to be just so. That's right. So uh, August came around. Uh, we got married uh, on Saturday. On Sunday, I had to fly to, to Jacksonville for a meeting with some union people down there. I flew back that uh, Monday morning and that afternoon, we left for Las Vegas. So you had a delayed honeymoon, basically. For a couple of days. Another romantic thing is the reason why you chose the date you did is because you happened to have a business trip to Las Vegas. (laughs) Exactly right. (laughs) To use as a honeymoon. And it was paid for. Yeah. (laughs) You big big romantic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I, I have my moments. <laughs> <laughs>